On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder leads the group in tracking a little two-word phrase, the two words, let us, through one of the books of the New Testament. We're going to be looking in this series of conversations at the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews invites his readers to join him in walking with Jesus in a variety of different ways, and he does it through the phrase, let us. The phrase, let us, appears in the book of Hebrews 13 times, which I find fascinating. And I think you will find it fascinating and helpful, too, as we discover how some of these invitations to let us in Hebrews speak into struggles that we still have today in our walk with Christ. So do you ever wonder if believing in Jesus is right, if it's all true? Ever struggle with prayer? Ever get complacent and stuck in your Christian life? Let me extend an invitation to you to let us study the book of Hebrews together this week on Discover the Word. And this is Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries with Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Marty Hahn, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry. And uh, Rasul has this week off, and so it is Bill leading Elisa and Mart and Daniel in this study simply called Let Us. As Bill mentioned, we'll be in the book of Hebrews, and so if you're in a spot where you can, why don't you open up your Bible to that New Testament book of Hebrews, and we'll start in chapter 4 in just a moment, looking at some of these invitations that speak into areas of our lives that I'm convinced will be an encouragement to you in your walk with Christ. And uh, we're intentionally calling these statements in Hebrews that begin with the words, let us, we're calling them invitations for a reason. And Bill is going to point out why as we begin another hour of studying the Bible together on the Discover the Word podcast. What's the difference between a command and an invitation? Well, you kind of just modeled it by asking us a question versus saying, answer this question and then starting with the question. So okay. yeah, maybe the tone of voice, the way someone postures themselves before they ask something, some of those things I think indicate someone's forcing me to do something or someone is inviting me to do something. I hear the concept of choice in both of them. One's more subtle. You know, the command is like insisting and the invitation, it feels like it's optional. And yet when you really look at them, both of them kind of have a requirement in them. And in both, both depends so much on the source. I mean, who is it that is either giving you the command Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or the invitation? Like if you're in a courtroom and a judge says, rise, you rise, okay. (laughs) But if it's, you know, your mom going, you know, put your clothes in the wash. You might or might not. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, Daniel, you've told us before that in your generation, which is the millennial generation, that your generation is more likely to respond positively to invitation than they would to a command. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Is that because millennials are less comfortable with authority or less valuing of authority? Why is that? I would say that the way we would respond is more because of abuses of authority that have been experienced. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the the pushback or the pendulum swing toward something else. Because there's also a part of uh, millennials in Gen Z both where we appreciate the wisdom of those who have gone before us and like with mentorship and things like that. But even the posture of mentorship 
instead of telling us what to think or what to do, it's much more effective when we're invited into the conversation and when good questions are asked of us and things like that, where we're more led through good conversation and questions mm. versus told, well, this is the right thing to believe. Mm. It must be a matter of degree, too, because, Daniel, you're not alone. I mean, I, I feel like I'm the <laughs> oldest guy around here, okay? And I just, the whole idea of a command versus uh in fact, I love it when I find out, for instance, uh, Bill, you're leading us today, but when I find out in Scripture, you know, something could, is an invitation, an urging mm -hmm. rather than a demand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we want to look at. We're going to be looking in this series of conversations at the book of Hebrews. We'll talk about the background to the book in a little bit, a little bit more. But the writer of the book of Hebrews invites his readers to join him in walking with Jesus in a variety of different ways. And he does it through the phrase, let us. <laughs> and I would suggest that that very much strongly feels more like an invitation mm -hmm. than a command. Yeah. Part of the reason because he's using first person plural rather than yeah. second person. It's not he's talking to you saying, you must do this. He's saying, let us do this. Mm -hmm. Let's join together and do this. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you said, Mart, it has a very different tone and spirit to it. The phrase, let us, appears in the book of Hebrews 13 times, which I find fascinating. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to look at all 13 of them in this series of conversations. We're going to kind of pick a, a few of them and go through them together. But I want us to think about this in terms of this writer is writing to a, a group of Hebrew followers of Christ who are having a tough time. Just for a little background on the book of Hebrews, the writer seems to be writing to the diaspora, the dispersed Hebrew followers of Jesus who have been driven out of Jerusalem by persecution, and they've fallen on very hard times. And when you read the book of Hebrews, it seems pretty clear that the writer is writing to people who are on the verge of abandoning their walk with Christ and returning to the ceremony and ritual of Judaism. And what our writer wants to do is invite them to not do that. He's inviting them to stick with it, to stay by the stuff, if you will. Yeah. And we're going to see that in this first invitation, which is found in Hebrews 4, verse 14. Who'd like mm -hmm. to read that for us? I've got it. So um, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession or my scripture in NIV says, hold firmly to the faith we profess. Yeah. yeah, and that's a good translation too. The first thing we need to see is the therefore. And mm -hmm. as we've all heard, when you see a therefore, you need to look back and see what the therefore is there for. Mm -hmm. And what it's there for is there's a series of ideas that the writer is giving to his readers, and they're all connected in a linear way. Uh, he talks about the living word, Jesus, who offers us rest and who knows all things. Then he connects that to verse 14 with, therefore, because of Jesus, the living word who offers us rest, let us hold to our confession. And Elisa, would you read that NIV translation again? Because I think it's really helpful. Sure, sure. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Yeah, to the faith mm -hmm. we profess. And when he says, hold firmly to the faith we possess, what do you think he's talking about there? Well, I think their commitment to Jesus, rather than, mm -hmm. as you just referenced, 
scooting back into the the rituals of Judaism yeah. and the, the yeah, law. which really goes back to the very first words of the whole letter, too, right, Bill? Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. What were those words, Mark? There were words that were expressing the fact that over a period of time, God has, has revealed himself in many different ways, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, which include the scriptures and the prophets. But he says in these last days, he has revealed himself to us through his own son, Jesus yeah. the Christ. Yeah. And that's the first of strong reasons that he has offered his readers to hold fast. And there he shows Jesus as superior to the prophets who were revered by the ancient Jews. But then in 1, 4 through 14, Jesus is shown to be superior over the angels. And in 3, 1 through 6, he's shown to be superior over Moses. In our next conversation, he's going to show that Jesus is superior over the priests. And so the whole point is, why would you go back to that when Jesus is better mm. in every way, yeah. over everything? Why would you go back? Hold firmly to your but confession. But isn't that just our condition as humans, Bill? It's such a great question. Why would you go back? But you, you describe them as people who'd been scattered mm -hmm. and you know were under persecution. And when we're not together, we don't have the mirrors to one another of remember what God said in your life, remember what God said in your life, remember what he told us together. Mm. You know, you don't have that. When you're in persecution, it's a time we begin to doubt, did God mm. really say anything? Was Jesus really risen from the dead? So it makes a lot of sense that they would begin to say, oh, let's go back to what's familiar. Let's yeah. go back to what used to work because this is scary, weird, vulnerable. Not sure yeah. I want to do it. And you get the sense from the writer that there's a lot of emotion there. I mean, it's not a casual thing for him. There's a sense of alarm because people yeah. were already leaning, if not walking, in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's characteristic of the book of Hebrews that kind of clues us in to the spiritual danger that the readers are putting themselves in because one of the characteristics of Hebrews is there's a series of very strong warnings mm -hmm. of what will happen if they continue on a wrong path. So yeah. isn't it counterintuitive that the writer gives an invitation rather than a command here? Well... I mean, if he's so worried about these warnings, why doesn't he say, get your act together or step back from the fire or warning, warning, warning? Why does he say, let us? Well, and I wonder... Part of maybe the answer to that is we're reading a letter that was written in a different culture at a different time. And a spiritual leader in the ancient world had a lot of authority. And so even an invitation from a spiritual leader has a lot more weight and strength than maybe the same way that we listen to a sermon or something like that today, where we feel like we have a lot of autonomy on what we are going to do or agree with, or we can push back more or whatever. Mm -hmm. I wonder if part of it's just that it's a different culture, different time. And the very fact that they wrote it in invitational language would have felt maybe a little softer, but still mm -hmm. would have had the weight of the fact that this is someone that they should listen to. Yeah, I think that's mm -hmm. good, Daniel. But remember mm -hmm. too, what comes to my mind is that the early Christians were, were urged over and over again not to lord it over others. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. But I also wonder if in this whole argument that the writer's presenting, if these Jewish followers of Christ might have heard some echoes from their own people's ancient past, because after 400 years in Egypt, God rescued them through the Exodus, brought them out of Egypt, and began moving them toward a land of promise. And as soon as things got a little tough, what was the first thing they wanted to do? 
<laughs> yeah, go back. Go back. They yeah. wanted to go back to Egypt, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there may have been a spiritual echo here in their hearts and minds of, yeah, just like going back to Egypt would not have been better than going to the promised land. Going back to Judaism is not better than staying with Jesus, who is better than the priests and the prophets and Moses and everything else. You know, that strikes me as being so appropriate, that parallel. I, I had never thought of that before, but you're right. They had such a history of that very, mm-hmm. that it must have come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and to pick on, mm-hmm. up on the point, Bill, that you're making, under the law, there was a bondage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in Egypt. Mm-hmm. It was a different yeah. kind of bondage, but it was real. It was very real. And Jesus had set them free from that bondage just as God had rescued them from the bondage of Egypt to go back into bondage, to somehow view bondage as preferable to the freedom that they had been given by their God is unthinkable to the writer. And so, as you said, Mark, I think there's a lot of emotion in this invitation, almost as if it's not just inviting them, but pleading with them. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Please hold firmly to your confession Mm -hmm. and don't go back to the old ways. So there you have the first example of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews inviting us to join him in walking with Jesus through the simple phrase, let us. Uh, Don't let the pressures of the world around us cause us to give up or go backwards in our commitment to Christ. Let us hold fast. That's a great start to our study. So next, we're going to move down just a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 4 to another of these Let Us invitations. And this one has to do with what is probably the most widely practiced religious activity. Any idea what that practice might be? Yeah, prayer. Some recent research indicated that only 15% of those surveyed never pray, and that two out of three Americans say they pray at least once during the course of every week. And so do you pray? Likely the answer is yes. But do you have questions about prayer? Do you feel like you should pray more or more genuinely? Or, yeah, we have questions and struggles about prayer, don't we? And so let's listen as Bill takes us to the Let Us invitation in Hebrews 4.16 to pray and to draw close to God in that way. When I was a pastor, I think I probably dealt with more questions about prayer than any other single issue in the life of faith. And Mm. I'm just wondering if you guys have encountered that as well, either in your own life or in the lives of those that you've dealt with. I have in my own life, yeah. And to this day, I continue to. Yeah. Yeah. I think about Philip Yancey's very honest question that became a title of his book on prayer, Prayer does it make any difference? Mm-hmm. And I just think that's so honest. And I think mm-hmm. we all wonder about that. Yeah. yeah. And you know what I find? There's an ambivalence that's so real because over time, there have been so many moments where I have sensed, really after having asked God or opened myself, my heart up to him, I've seen things that I thought, there's no way that that would have happened without him answering a prayer. At the same mm-hmm. time, I'm so often aware of, of the kind of promises Jesus made that if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. You know, and he repeats that over and over. And you say, wait a minute, that, how does that fit into yeah. this pattern? And then it gets even trickier because we can also think of the places where we have prayed about something and haven't seen an answer mm-hmm. or where God's done something that we haven't prayed for 
Yeah. Um, we found out by him doing it that we needed that thing or, or for him yeah. to work or whatever it is, yeah. too. So I think that's kind of the heart behind it, too. Okay, so we're in these conversations from the book of Hebrews where we're kind of tracking this little phrase, let us. Not let us, let us. <laughs> um, Thanks for clarifying. Okay. And uh, in our first conversation, we were in Hebrews 4, and we saw the writer encouraging his fellow followers of Christ who had been scattered through persecution to hold fast to their confession of faith uh, rather than abandoning Jesus and going back to Judaism. And now, as he's inviting them to that, he moves very quickly to, interestingly enough, an invitation to prayer. So what I'd like for us to do to begin this conversation is to begin in Hebrews 4 again, Verses 14 through 16. Daniel, would you like to read those for us? Sure. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. One of the reasons to not abandon the faith is because look who you have to go to with these concerns and problems and struggles that you have. You don't have a human priest who comes and goes who might be sympathetic, might not be sympathetic, who may know what you're talking about, may not know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You have a greater high priest who knows everything, and he understands exactly how you're feeling about Mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. That's why it's good to pray. Mm. You know, Bill, this passage has probably been one of the greatest theological underpinnings of my walk with God. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember first coming upon it when I was a teenager and was just understanding or coming to understand some of who Jesus really was. You know, me myself moving from tradition into relationship, you yeah. know, from performance into grace. You know, me myself doing that. And the way you just described it, he sees everything. Yeah. He sees it all, but he doesn't reject it and he's experienced it. So I can come straight to his presence because he's made provision for it. It's changed everything in me mm-hmm. from trying to hide and perform and fake it to being who I am and then being transformed. Wow. At least did you have any idea how you came to that passage? Did you just bump into it? or No, I, you know, I actually think in my early, early walk, a mentor said, here are a couple of verses that I suggest mm. you memorize. Okay. And, that, and 14 was one of them. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and then 16 was one of them. And so when you memorize something, it'll come back to you mm-hmm. over and over through mm. your life. So I think that's what stuck with me. Mm. Yeah, that's such a great story, Elisa. Thank you for sharing that. And um, the question that I have right now, Bill, you said this is an invitation to pray, but prayer isn't mentioned in the verse. And so as one of those people that's come to you often saying, what is prayer as a question, (laughs) how do you see prayer in this verse? Well, I see it in two ways. I see it in the the reason for the prayer and the place we go to with our prayer. The reason that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do we Mm -hmm. do in time of need? Well, 
the scriptures tell us we can go to God in prayer. And I see that as drawing near to the throne of grace. And it also offers us one of the greatest motivations for prayer, because when we come into God's presence to pray, we're not coming to a throne of judgment. We're going to a throne of grace. Mm-hmm. And you know what I hear in that, Bill? And I'm wondering, the promise doesn't seem to be that we will get answers to our prayer. No, not necessarily. What it is is that God will give us what we need, and what we need most is not necessarily an answer. Mm-hmm. What we need most is mercy and grace. Mm-hmm. And I think that was like the cherry on top for what I was sharing about my understanding is that God knows it all. He's experienced it himself. So is, you know, he really does relate. Therefore, we can approach him, which is the word the NIV uses, draw near, approach. Here's my need. And the need feels a lot like, you know, and I don't know the exact representation of these words, but it, it feels a lot like forgiveness. Yeah. It feels a lot like, you know all about me, you know how short I fall, you know what my doubts are, especially in this audience. I can bring those freely to you mm-hmm. and approach you and draw near to you. And you're not going to reject me. You're going to be present with me. Uh, so I think I'm hearing there then too, to find a courage, to find the strength within whatever situation yeah, you're, yeah. you're finding yourself. Yeah. yeah, and being really careful with as we're inviting people to pray or pray with them or asking for prayer ourselves is when we talk about what the end result of praying is, it's not necessarily that things work out the way that we're asking yeah. for or that we get the thing that we want or whatever it is. The answer that's offered, at least in this passage, is what you will find every time you pray is a God who gives mercy and grace. Mm, and that's yeah. why we can come with boldness. And that's what we'll experience when we pray, regardless of what the the thing is that we're asking for or yeah. whatever. And it almost sounds like the implication is that we'll be able to connect that with God himself. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we get mercy and grace from the one who sits on the throne of grace. Yeah. So my question to you, Daniel, is did I answer your question about <laughs> prayer? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I just think sometimes we like make things like prayer into this like complicated thing. Yeah. And I agree. The fact that it's not even mentioned in this verse, I think, is helpful because what it reminds <laughs> us of is the fact that prayer isn't like follow this formula to get, you know, A plus B equals C or whatever. Yeah. It's just approaching a God who sympathizes with our weaknesses because he's experienced it and offers mercy and grace and love and forgiveness and to walk with us through whatever it is that we're experiencing. And that's amazing. (laughs) And I think you're exactly right. And I think it also speaks to what Elisa was saying about moving into a posture of relationship with God. Just think about, you know, theologically, we talk about God's transcendence versus God's imminence. And by imminence, I mean his nearness. His transcendence is that he is beyond us and beyond our reach. His imminence is he is near to us, Hmm. even in our hearts. And we see his imminence in Jesus, the Son of God, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We see his transcendence is that he's still the one who occupies the throne. Hmm. Yet, because we're in relationship, we are invited not just to come into his presence, but to come with confidence, Mm. with boldness into his presence. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just spectacular. And so it it helps prayer not be so transactional. It's one of the words we Mm -hmm. can slip into. It's more of partaking of the freshness of his presence, you know, and, and just being with him shifts us, you know, to answer Philip's question, prayer doesn't make any difference. Well, I'm different 
because I've drawn near, because I've approached the throne of grace. So could that be with or without words, but with an awareness? I was just feeling that, Mark, because it doesn't say in here, Mm -hmm. come with boldness and say everything that you need to say, (laughs) right? Like it says, just come with boldness, which sometimes we don't have the words Mm -hmm. to even say what it is that's on our hearts or our minds or whatever, but we just want to be in their presence because we know they're the ones that care about us the most. And I think that also is a good reminder of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, that when we don't know what to pray for, Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. And to know that not only can we come boldly into God's presence, we don't have to get it right Mm -hmm. because we have the Holy Spirit who can get it right for us. And that's even better. Let us draw near. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Invitation to connect with God through prayer. It's something we know is good and something we want to do more. But we so often struggle to pray, don't we? So this is an important let us invitation for us to hear from the book of Hebrews. Well, you're listening to Discover the Word with your friends Mark DeHaan, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day in a study from the book of Hebrews called Let Us. And so far, I think we've found the two Let Us invitations we've looked at to be really helpful. So next, we're going to focus on another invitation, but this one feels a little different. The writer, he kind of gets a little snarky with him. What do you mean by snarky? Well, he's kind of taken a shot at him, and it appears to be a well-deserved shot, but a shot nonetheless. He's really calling them babies. Yeah. And so that, to me, just feels a little snarky. Yeah, and so what is it that would make the writer get snarky? And what is the let us invitation that comes out of that? Well, we'll find out after a quick word about a book that Bill has written on the subject of prayer. Coming out of that part of our conversation about prayer, I'd like to encourage you to go to our discovertheword.org website and check out Bill Crowder's excellent book titled, Let's Talk, Praying Your Way to a Deeper Relationship with God. This would be a great follow-up to the part of the Let Us invitation that we just had. And Bill started out that segment saying that when he was a pastor, people asked more questions about prayer than any other subject. And so that likely was part of his motivation for writing a book like Let's Talk, to help followers of Jesus find out more about who God is and why prayer matters. As you read Bill's book, you'll be motivated to make prayer a priority in your walk with God and, in a sense, respond yes to the Hebrews' invitation to let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So to order a copy of Let's Talk by Bill Crowder, just click on the store drop down on our discovertheword.org website in the store then search for let's talk and you'll be able to order a copy and now let's find another let us invitation in the book of hebrews i'm not going to ask if you ever asked this of your kids (laughs) i'm going to ask if you were ever asked this when you were younger (laughs) because i got asked it more than once and that's when are you ever going to grow up? <laughs> mm. that's, still, that, that's a question I still ask of myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I asked myself that question too. But to yeah. answer your question, yes, I've been asked that before by, <laughs> by my mom, by my dad. 
<laughs> Maybe by my wife. <laughs> yeah, Marlene asks me that question all the time. Uh, sometimes she'll ask me, what do you want to be if you grow up? <laughs> and uh, I think what we're talking about here is something we've talked about in previous conversations at other times on the difference between childlikeness and childishness. Mm-hmm. I think that's a question addressing childishness or maybe an inappropriate level of immaturity. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. 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 Irresponsibility. Yeah. I mean, while childishness has an irresponsibility to it, adulting is hard. Yeah. And yeah. we might long for the days when we have less responsibility. Yeah. And it's hard to be childlike when you have a whole bunch yeah. of responsibility yeah. on you. Yeah. Circumstances do that to us. Yeah, yeah. they sure do. Yeah. And I think the difference we're talking about is the difference between appropriate maturity versus inappropriate immaturity. Mm-hmm. There's an inappropriate immaturity that really is unwholesome. And I think that on the spiritual level, that's what we're going to see in our next invitation in Hebrews. And we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 for this conversation. Mark, could you read that for us? Okay. The author writes, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Okay. And mine has an interesting phrase too, just to throw that in there as well, Bill. It says, therefore, yeah. let us go on toward perfection, Oof. which is an yeah. interesting word. No there pressure too. there. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is that after the first two invitations that we've already seen, let us hold fast to our profession of faith and let us come boldly before God's throne of grace. Now we come to another and in between what we've already seen and what we're going to see in this conversation, the writer, he kind of gets a little snarky with them. He wants to talk to them about the Melchizedekan priesthood, which... You can find for your own reading pleasure in Genesis 14, where there is a priesthood according to Melchizedek. And the writer really wants to talk to them about this. And it's not lightweight stuff. It's significant Mm -hmm. stuff. But he says, I can't do it. And he gives them a kind of a stinging rebuke in verses 11 through 14, where he says, in a time where you should have grown to the point where you could be teachers, you need to learn your ABCs all over again. Mm-hmm. You, you need to go back to elementary school, to kindergarten, and start all mm-hmm. over. And it's a really strong rebuke that he gives them. But what he is talking about is that they are expressing in their lives an inappropriate spiritual immaturity. You know what this makes me think of, Bill, is if you ever watched The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and he'd be on the street with a mic and ask passers-by, you know, who was Benjamin Franklin or who Mm -hmm. was, you know, just Thomas Jefferson. And they're like, oh, you know, he's a designer, a fashion designer (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) And it would just evidence such ignorance of the founding fathers slash founding principles of America. And when you don't have that basis, you lack appreciation for what you have. Yeah. And I think what he's talking to them about in spiritual terms are not so much Old Testament ideas that they would have grown up with in Judaism. Remember, he is writing to Hebrews who are followers of Christ, but he's talking about the ABCs, the elementary things of Jesus, 
and the things that should have given them the foundation to build towards spiritual maturity on what today in our generation we call the process of spiritual formation. Yeah, yeah. but what doesn't make sense, Bill, is your comment about being snarky. Oh, well, I think verses 11 through 14 is where he's kind of snarky. Verses 11 through 14 of chapter 5. What do you mean by snarky? Well, he's kind of taking a shot at him. And it appears to be a well-deserved shot, but a shot nonetheless. He says, concerning him, Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He's really calling them babies. Yeah. And so... That, to me, just feels a little snarky. Okay, maybe I just want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I want to see a tear coming down his cheek. You know what I mean? And maybe there was, because we've seen great passion from him in the other invitations that he's given, and I would be shocked if he did not have some level yeah. of emotion in this one as well. Yeah. So probably you're being more fair to him than I am. And let me throw in the other side of this. Okay. I think I'm stumbling on this because I'm thinking about in my own life all of the things that I grew up thinking that I had the right answer about, that I had completely understood, that I was ready to teach. Mm. Mm. And then over time, finding out I knew a lot less than I thought I did, and I had a lot less answers than I thought I had. And even the mentors in my life that say things like, the older I get, the less I know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm reading this going like, yeah, I got to be real. Oftentimes when I'm reading the scriptures or in prayer or thinking about God, I feel like I need milk again yeah. because I thought I understood something and now I don't anymore. But maybe yeah. that's more like childlike yeah. than yeah. childish. You know, when we really yeah. embrace how little we know, that's a childlike posture, yeah. a dependency yeah. on God maybe. In a yeah. good sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in our invitation, notice what he says, let us press on to maturity. Mm. And what's interesting is that phrase, press on, is actually a passive voice, and it can be translated, let us be carried forward. Hmm. Hmm. So it's not necessarily demanding of us that all of a sudden we crank it up and we suddenly get more mature, but it's almost a sense of allowing God to do his maturing work in us, to hmm. carry us forward to maturity in Christ. We have the foundation laid. We don't need to lay the foundation again, even though, to your point, Daniel, there might be times when we feel like, you know what, mm -hmm. I didn't get that as well as I thought I did. Maybe I need to do some more work there. Mm -hmm. yeah. The basics of the foundation have been laid. Now we need to allow God to do his work of moving us forward to maturity through the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes this just a beautiful invitation for our relationship with our God. Yeah. yeah, And it kind of says that in verse three in a way where it says, and we will do this if God permits. Yeah. So there's that kind of like God pulling us along hmm. emphasis there. And I even have a note in, in my Bible that says another way that that could be translated, speaking of let us, is let us do this if God permits. Hmm. And so it's like we're in this current of a river that is God pulling us along yeah. toward maturity. Now, for some reason, which, frankly, I don't understand, um, the writer here feels like it's important for their spiritual development to understand some things about Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. I don't know why he thought that was such an important issue. But notice in verse 14 of chapter 5, he says, Solid food is for the mature. 
And then he says, therefore, because solid food is for the mature, therefore, let us be carried forward to maturity. Why? So we can process the spiritual food, the solid food that can help us grow uh, more to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. I think he's inviting us deeper into the kind of relationship that Elise has talked about a couple of times in our conversations. Yeah, and that has as much to do with our heart as our minds, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it, in some ways, to go back to Daniel's kind of transparent childlike moment as opposed to a childish moment, I think it may have more to do with the heart than with the mind because mm. we can know all kinds of data, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we have one earthly idea what to do with that data or the fact that without him, we can't do anything with that right. data. Yeah. Let's hold that tension of childish and childlike, because even in saying that, you know, Daniel, you, you need to grow down into recognizing we still are all naive and ignorant about some things, that verb that goes along, and you, you talked about it as, you know, being carried along. You were using the metaphor of a, a river, Daniel, I think, as you were talking about it. I started picturing God picking us up mm -hmm. and holding us close to his heart. You know, so even though the writer's saying grow up, he also is wooing us to embrace our dependency and our need mm -hmm. for God in relationship mm -hmm. and to let him carry us forward. Yeah. So Bill, the one thing that's still in my mind though, is we've mentioned like there is solid food, the ABCs. And I just want to ask quickly, like what is the solid food or the ABCs that we're supposed to have gotten our minds around or be working with or being pulled toward or, or whatever? How would you summarize that based on what you've studied in Hebrews? Well, I think that what he's talking about is found in the second half of chapter 6, verse 1, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. I think the ABCs are the response to the gospel, how we respond to the good news that Jesus has come, that he has died for us, that he has risen from the grave for us, and that he has offered us hope and meaning and purpose and eternity. And I think those are the foundational things that everything else gets built on. Paul said, don't lay any other foundation than the one that is laid, and that's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what he must be speaking about. Are you familiar with the phrase target-rich environment? No, not me. I'm not. Well, it's sometimes used in military situations in which an attacker who has a superior weapons is presented with a large number of highly desirable, poorly defended, high-value targets. But let's take that out of a military Oof. context and put it in a different context because that's pretty heavy. So let's <laughs> yeah. say Elisa decides she wants to get some new perfume. And she walks into Macy's and is confronted with the perfume counter. Uh -huh. And there are oh, 7,812 yeah. different <laughs> kinds of perfume exactly. there. That would be a target-rich environment for somebody looking for perfume, right? Yeah, you're talking about a lot of options, and they're yeah. all valuable and, and all attractive, really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is helpful because Mart and I were just shopping for perfume together <laughs> the other day. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I use the phrase target-rich environment is because we've been looking at these 
phrases in the book of Hebrews that begin with the words, let us. And in the text we're going to look at today, there are actually three of them. So today's text is a target-rich environment oh. for let us invitations. <laughs> and, and all of that to get to here, Bill. <laughs> yeah, we said all that to say this. Uh, okay, so what we want to do is we want to look at Hebrews 10, okay. verses 22 through 24, and listen for our little phrase as it pops up repeatedly here. Elisa, you want to read those for us? Okay, Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then verse 24, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, you know what I like about this text? Not only does it have those three let us statements in it, but also you'll remember sometime back, we did a series of conversations on the big three. What were the big three? You remember? Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And here, let us draw near with a full oh. assurance of faith. Let us hold mm -hmm. fast to our hope. Let us stimulate one another to love. So we have mm -hmm. faith, hope, mm -hmm. and love. Look you at have those that. big three ideas. Awesome. And we're invited to participate in all three by the writer. And I, and I find that really helpful to mm -hmm. me. I think it's also interesting, Bill, too, right before this, it kind of summarizes what we've already talked about in our series. Because in verse 19, it says, Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary mm -hmm. by the blood of Jesus. So that kind of summarizes that boldness yep. and, and the that, sacrifice. that prayer. Mm -hmm. yep. mm -hmm. And then skipping to verse 21, and since we have a great yep. priest over the house of God, and then the let us statements. And so yeah. even kind of the way this sets up the whole conversation is exactly what we've already talked about in the series. Yeah, if you do a careful study of the book of Hebrews, what you'll find is there's a lot of repetition. He echoes the same ideas over and over in different language and with different metaphors from Jewish ritual. But he keeps coming back to the same ideas. We have a much better high priest, and the mm -hmm. blood of his sacrifice was much better than any other sacrifice that could ever or has ever been offered. And that's why you don't want to walk away from Jesus, because mm -hmm. he is better than anything else that you could ever imagine or put your trust in. Mm -hmm. And now as he gives us these three, just real quickly, does any of the three jump out particularly to you? Because one in particular jumps out to me. I think some of it confuses me. Mm -hmm. Like I have no idea what heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience means. Um, <laughs> but then verse 23 jumps out to me. Let us hold fast the confession because we talked about that in our yep. first conversation. Yep. And then I'm always captivated by this idea of how to encourage one another in love, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. show love and yeah. to be recipients of love, because it seems so hard to yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah. And the first one is foundational, isn't it? Let us draw near to God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, again, goes back not only to Hebrews 4, where we started, but also, as Daniel said, to verse 19, to have confidence to enter into the holy place, into the presence of mm -hmm. God through the blood of Jesus. And I think I'm with you, Daniel. I think the verse 24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, gets my attention 
for a couple of reasons. One, because through much of the book of Hebrews, he's been talking about our relationship with God and our walk with God and how we deal with God. Now, all of a sudden, he's mm-hmm. saying, but wait a minute, it's not just you and God on the lonesome highway. Mm-hmm. There's a family here. And we need to be careful how we deal with one another within that family. And how we deal with one another is to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, my translation in NRV says, uh, consider how to spur one another yeah. on. And, you know, we talked earlier in a conversation about how the audience here are scattered. They're apart and mm-hmm. they're not together and we all know that when we are isolated that's a time when our faith is really Mm -hmm. tested and this word you're saying stimulate but the translation spur one another on you just gave me the metaphor of being like a bunch of sheep being herded or cows being herded spurred Mm -hmm. you know towards Mm -hmm. a goal and that's a very interesting term what does that mean spur one another on well it's to provide initiative I think would be the safest way to put it. I mean, I mean when, when I hear the word spurs, I think of cowboys yeah. uh, who would spur their horses to get them to go faster. Well, and I'm um, thinking about carrot versus stick. This doesn't seem like a carrot where you're wooing somebody forward. This seems like a stick. <laughs> That's probably what we're hearing, though, at least some more than the spirit of it, because okay. I think it speaks to the, the distinction, Bill, that you've made right at the outset. There's a difference between a command and an mm-hmm. attitude of say, come mm-hmm. on, guys, let's do this together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and to me, again, that goes back to what we said in that first conversation. One of the characteristics, I think, that make these such strong invitations is that the writer uses first person plural instead of second person. Yeah. He's not yeah. talking at them. He's not even talking to them. He's encouraging them to join with him mm-hmm. together. And in a sense... Through the whole letter of Hebrews, you could almost make an argument that he is doing this very thing with these readers. He is trying to consider how to spur them on to continue walking with Jesus instead of abandoning their relationship with him. And, and he's doing it with a good deal of humility yeah, rather than mm-hmm. demanding that they act in a way. Yeah, again, for Jewish people who had come up in Israel under the abusive authority of the priesthood of Mm -hmm. Judaism at that time, to have someone come to them with this kind of urging and pleading and inviting as opposed to just smacking them down and saying, you do this and you do this. I mean, remember what Jesus said about the religious leaders of his day. He said, you tie heavy burdens on the people's back and you won't even so much as lift a finger to help them. Mm -hmm. This is very different from that. Mm Yeah, and if you want to spur us on, love us. I mean, that's what yeah. Christ did, right? Yeah, that's what I was feeling too, is it's what he's asking them to do is a very opposite thing to what a typical maybe religious leader would have said at the same time. In the NRSV, it says, let us consider how to provoke one another to love. Mm-hmm. And that reminded me of just what we typically provoke in others, <laughs> yeah. it's not usually love. Not positive, yeah. yeah, right. It's usually yeah. like we provoked them to anger, or we provoked yeah. a disagreement, or we provoked something, and then it's very negative. Yeah, but here it's we're provoking one another to love and to doing what's right yeah. to good. And deeds. if we could read on uh, verse twenty-four with twenty-five, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another Mm. all the more as you see the day approaching. 
And notice again, until you get to the very end of the verse, it's still first person plural, not forsaking our assembling. He's still including himself with them in this need and challenge and invitation. Mm. I just think the whole idea of in these few short verses, not only capturing these warm invitations, but also locking them into those big three ideas of faith, hope, and love. I think there's brilliance here. I mean, uh, there's a lot of debate as to who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I can tell you this, whoever wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's brilliance here. And it's brilliance that's presented in the most humble, servant-hearted way Mm -hmm. as the writer encourages, includes, and welcomes his readers to join him in a life of adventure and discovery with Jesus. Yeah, and that sounds like a great life, doesn't it? You're listening to the Discover the Word podcast and a study in the book of Hebrews of some of the 13 times that the writer offers an invitation to let us follow Christ. And so we will wrap up this study by flipping over to Hebrews chapter 12 for a couple more of these let us invitations, Uh, possibly some familiar words that uh, maybe you'll hear again for the first time when looking at it from the perspective of let us. And so let's pause for a short break and a word about another resource from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And then Bill and Elisa and Mark and Daniel will be back to close out this episode. Now, since we're exploring Hebrews in this edition of the podcast, I also want to encourage you to dig deeper into this challenging New Testament book by reading one of our Our Daily Bread Discovery series, Bible engagement and Bible study online booklets called Understanding the Bible, the Letter to the Hebrews. Now, we've said it before, Hebrews can be a bit complicated and confusing to read, but biblical scholar and professor Mark Strauss helps you to navigate this key New Testament letter in this Discovery Series booklet that you can read for free online at discoveryseries.org. I think you'll find the over 150 titles in this library an invaluable resource in lots of areas, both for your personal use, use in small groups, or at your church. And this particular title, Understanding the Bible, The Letter to the Hebrews, is a great example. Hope you'll check it out at discoveryseries.org. All right, as I said, Bill has us going to Hebrews chapter 12 for a couple more of these Let Us invitations with reasons to continue following Christ and letting that faith be a driving force in how we live our lives. So let's listen as Bill asks Elisa and Mart and Daniel to review for a moment where we've been in this episode. We've been having some conversations as we've kind of meandered our way through the book of Hebrews, tracking this little phrase, let us. And mm-hmm. what have we seen the writer inviting us to in these invitations? The main thing we talked about at the beginning is that he uses this phrase, let us, you know, talking in the inclusive we language as an invitation rather mm-hmm. than a command, invite them back into what is healthy in a relationship yeah. with Jesus. Good. And we all relate to that, right? Yeah. yeah. That, that's the kind yeah. of spirit that draws us yeah. to someone. And he's invited us to several different things. One was to hold fast to our confession of faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was another? 
holding fast to the access that we have to God, that we mm-hmm. can come to his throne with boldness because yeah. he offers mercy and grace. And That's we called good. that holding fast to prayer. Yeah, let yeah. us draw near. Yeah, What a huge idea that is. Mm-hmm. And keep growing, you know, don't yeah. just like dig in and refuse to go further and kind of go backwards in your faith, but keep growing. And then let us provoke one another to love. which is the opposite of what we typically (laughs) provoke in each other. Um, And there was lots of different words there. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's good. In this conversation, we're going to wrap these up for now. We may come back uh, at a later time and revisit Hebrews because in our first conversation, we talked about the fact that there are 13 of these invitations that start with the phrase, let us, in the book of Hebrews. And we've just barely scratched the surface in these conversations. But for our final one in this set, we're going to go to Hebrews 12, verse 1. And it has to do with something, Daniel, I know that you're very familiar (laughs) with, and that is running. Yep. Uh, you've run some marathons, right? Mm-hmm. The Denver Marathon, the Nashville Marathon, and then the Chicago Marathons. Wow. That's impressive. Uh, and can I just say as a witness, he eats a lot of food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, burn a, you burn a lot of calories running a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's young. Yeah. And he's young. Daniel, are yeah. you still running, Daniel? I try to run at least three days a week, okay. uh, but quite a few less miles than I was when I was running marathons. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what kids do for you. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Uh, when you have kids, you don't have the time to run 26 miles. Exactly. So. It's so much time to do those full training programs. It requires just yeah. hours and hours. And like speaking of food, I mean, we don't have the budget to yeah. <laughs> keep buying as much that's food right. that you need <laughs> and stuff like that. So, yeah, well, yeah. I don't know, Mart, if you or Lisa have done any competitive running or not. I have. I ran one race and okay. I was in my first. 40s, I think. It was the Boulder Boulder in Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a challenge. If I ran yeah. one, it was not a race. Well, I guess it was for somebody. It wasn't for me. <laughs> I bought new inserts for my running shoes the night before. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up with the worst case of blisters. And I didn't, I didn't run for... We, I, maybe that's when I stopped running. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when I was in junior high school, I ran track and I ran the mile and the half mile, which is considerably shorter than a 26.2 mile marathon, Daniel. When I was in college the first time, long story, doesn't matter. When I was in college the first time, I ran cross country. And that would normally be three and a half to four miles as a track. Mm-hmm. And so that requires a different kind of preparation and so mm-hmm. forth. So you've already talked about the kind of food that you need, the kind of time that you need to prepare. Instead of talking about the the positives, what are some of the hindrances to being able to run those kinds of things? Mm. Well, I mean, those two things are hindrances because if you don't have the time mm. to do it, but then also when people try to run too many miles too quickly, there's mm-hmm. a lot of injuries that can happen mm-hmm. if they don't have the right gear whether, and I'm not just talking about like running shoes or something like that. I'm, I mean, even for the weather, yeah. you can get sick and things like that and safety. And there's, there's a lot of things that can get in the way. Mm. That's good, Daniel, because that sets us up perfectly for Hebrews 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1, and I'll just read it this time. It says, therefore, and again, we've seen that word over and over again. He keeps linking his ideas together, doesn't he? Through Mm -hmm. words like therefore or since 
or four. He's building his case, and now he comes to this. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, we'll loop back to that in a minute, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here we see a positive and a negative invitation. The negative invitation is to lay some things aside. The positive is to run with a sense of perseverance and endurance. So how does that fit into your marathon illustration, Daniel? Yeah, I think it fits pretty well because you have to prepare well. Mm -hmm. And then you need to stick to the training. And one of the things we haven't even talked about is if you don't rest enough in your training program, you can get more injured. So there's even like periods of inaction that prepare you for Mm -hmm. running well. So all of that, I just feel tied up in this metaphor. Yeah. So there's actually two let us statements here. One is let us lay aside every encumbrance. And I can tell you when I was running cross country, there were a couple of guys on the team who on training days, they would actually run with ankle weights on mm-hmm. to strengthen their legs. Mm-hmm. And then when it came time for the race, they would take those things off. And that's what I think of every time I think of lay aside every encumbrance, everything that weighs you down or holds you back. You've got to set that aside if you're going to be able to run effectively. Mm-hmm. That's the picture of that that I see. And then the second let us is to run with endurance. And that's not just let's run and try and get to the end. There's a there's a sense of commitment in there, mm. not just participation. Uh, like you were describing, Mark, when you said it was a race for somebody, but not for me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is a race for us. And that's what I think the writer's inviting us into. This is a race for us. Let us run with a level of commitment and engagement in this race. Yeah. yeah and that's where long distance running in particular just is so helpful for this metaphor, mm-hmm. because the worst mistake you can make on a race day for a long race is to sprint out of the gate. Yeah. And it happens all the time. And so there's this slow, steady, long obedience in the same direction that's required for a long distance race. Yeah. And that really feels like what Paul is leaning on here is it's it's a slowness, a steadiness, a consistency, a faithfulness, this long obedience in the same direction is what I really, really feel in this. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill, I'm struck by verse one of chapter 12, being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And I'm thinking about my little boulder, boulder run. And one of our friends who was well ahead of me came back and ran with me. Mm-hmm. And he totally helped me improve my time because he ran with me. Mm-hmm. So, so what is that? Because we've just, we looked in our past conversation about, you know, being with another, spurring one another to love mm-hmm. and good deeds and the importance of gathering together. So what is this beginning reference about? Well, I think that that's wrapped up in that word, therefore, because obviously before he talks about, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, The therefore is pointing back to that hall of faith, I think, in chapter 11. These are those who have run their race, who've run it well, and now there's a sense in which we're surrounded by the witness of how they ran. And I think the thing that he's driving for here is, again, every single individual who's singled out in Hebrews chapter 11, whatever they did, they did by faith, by faith, by faith by faith. And that's the witness that they gave. 
that what they did, they did it with a matter of dependence upon God. And with that example, as we get ready to run our race, they've finished their race. As we get ready to run our race, we mm. need to do it by faith as well. It mm. also has to be done with a sense of great dependence upon our God. Some people have, have used the illustration of a stadium full of people, that the stadium full of people are the great cloud of witnesses. I don't really buy that because what I see is people who have already run their race and maybe they're in the infield doing their cool down, following their running. They've run their race, but they're not up in the stands like a spectator booing or cheering or whatever. They're in the infield having finished their race and they're ready to see what happens as we run ours by faith. Yeah, I also wonder, Bill, if maybe he's pulling on the thread that we talked about in our last conversation where it talked about let us not neglect meeting together Mm. because that was one of the encouragements, invitations that he had was you're not on your own, don't do it on your own. In fact, you've got people around you right now that you should be spending time with and being encouraged by and also encouraging And of course, in that context, talking about receiving love and giving love in this context of community. And so I wonder if maybe he's pulling on that thread too. But then also immediately after that, he says, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. So it's like even Mm -hmm. Jesus Mm -hmm. is one of these cloud of witnesses that runs with us the race that he set before us. Yeah, and that reminds me of what Elisa was saying about her friend who dropped back to run Mm -hmm. with her to help her along. Yeah, and again, by faith we run, by faith we live, by faith we trust, by faith we pray, and by faith in Jesus we seek to run behind him in this great race. Um, I I think there's a lot of rich imagery here, and being a sports guy, that's kind of low-hanging fruit (laughs) for me. But I think when you translate it into the spiritual realm, and realize that the people who were commended in Hebrews 11 were not commended for their actions as much as they were commended for their trust in God who could empower their actions. I, I really think that that gives us a way to move forward that's different than, again, as we've seen a number of times, just giving me one more command to fulfill. Yeah, yeah. Bill, if, if somebody says, I'm having a hard time knowing what it means to live by faith or to run by faith or even to trust in God? Like, for what? Well, when Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing, it would seem that we trust God for everything. Now, there's a sense in which I think that operates passively, and there's another sense in which I think it operates actively. There are times in our lives, like the Hebrew Christians that the writer is addressing here, when we're really under pressure, when we're struggling, when we maybe have huge challenges in our lives and we just don't know what to do and actively we go to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need and we trust and we say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening, but I trust you that you know why it's happening and that you'll accomplish what needs to be done through this. Sometimes it's that kind of active thing. Sometimes I think it's more passive Whereas we live and move and have our being, we do it in the presence of our God who has called us to be his children, who says we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, and we live a life that's kind of passively trusting him for the things of life in the same way as a child 
kind of passively trust their mom and dad that they know what's best. Mm. What's coming to my mind is um, one of my dear friends struggled with cancer for 25 years and passed away about six weeks ago. And so in my mind, you know, she is among the great cloud of witnesses. And I often think of her, her name is Janice. And when I read this passage now with that refresh transition that she's made, I look at Janice and I've kept the little picture from her memorial service pamphlet. It's a beautiful smile of contentment on her face. And I look at it and I know Janice has completed the race. And I remember her life and I remember her dying and I remember her service and her memorial. But I also remember it's because she trusted. And so I remember her trust. And that's where I put my attention is, is I want to model my life after the way Janice trusted Jesus and what she showed me in that. I think it's really helpful. So it's really eyes on Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah and that's where verse two, I think, becomes so helpful. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yeah. And it's almost like out front, there's Jesus. Keep your eyes on him and just trust him that if you keep your eyes on him and follow him, he'll lead you into the right places. Yeah, and if you take that to the next verse too, Bill, I think that's really rich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Yeah. yeah. That not grow weary and lose heart seems to pair up as a mirror image to perseverance, doesn't it? Yeah. So let us respond to the writer's invitations to join him and one another and the great cloud of witnesses in walking with Jesus as we go and following him by faith. And that is a great way to wrap up our look at these invitations from the book of Hebrews here on Discover the Word as we've looked at some of the Let Us invitations, the writer extended to readers intending to strengthen them in their faith in Jesus. So many ways, faith in Jesus is better. It's greater than any alternative. And I hope you've been encouraged to stay strong in your faith. You've been at the table with your friends, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And we're glad that you let us be your study partners in this series. Well, I'm Brian Hedinga, inviting you to come back to the table for our next podcast to look back at a fascinating conversation that Mart and Lisa and Daniel had with the late theologian and pastor and Christian apologist, Tim Keller. Uh, Tim passed away earlier this year, but his influence on us and the way we discover the word remains. And in these conversations, we were privileged to have him here in our studio in Grand Rapids, Michigan, exploring a topic that uh, kind of surprised us. Now, we asked him what he wanted to talk about, and he said, the first Christian sexual revolution. (laughs) Because he says that the sexual revolution, you know, that started back in the 1960s was not the first sexual revolution. When Christianity burst onto the scene in the first century, it spoke about many, many things, but one of the things it brought was a revolutionary view of sexuality. Christianity still has something very important to say to the world because it's still revolutionary. It will revolutionize your life as well. And so join us as we look back at those conversations and remember Tim Keller next time, right here on the Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.